It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. I love the way Belle Bruner explains how quilting changes people. It causes changes in both the quilters and the recipients of the quilts. We all know this, but to hear it put into words was thrilling for me. Belle loves to make lovely things, and the notions that she has made are proof that we can use lovely things while we're quilting. Belle, I am so happy to have you on A Quilter's Life. Oh, Paula, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to visit with you today. I did get to hear your episode on Susan Smith's Measure Twice, Cut Once podcast, and that was great. Did you have fun interviewing with her? I did. It was actually my first podcast in which to be interviewed in a previous job. I was someone that interviewed others for a podcast we had, but this was my first time to actually be interviewed with Susan, and she was just lovely to work with and talk to. She is great. Let's start back with where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in a town called Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and I don't really remember any of that because when I was one, we moved to a very rural area of Arkansas in the Washtenaw National Forest, a town of about 280 people. And so it's kind of West Central Arkansas. And that is where I grew up from basically the age of one until I left for college. And it's on the beautiful Washtenaw River in a national forest. And my father is still there on the property and I go back and visit often. It sounds beautiful. It really is. Actually, we're kind of in the middle of putting together and building a couple of Airbnbs there to be able to kind of share that slice of paradise with others. So it's truly a blessing as far as a great place to grow up and visit now as an adult. Yeah. Do you have a special childhood memory? I guess the one that really stands out the most is quilting related would be with my grandmother, Anna. I called her Grandma Anna, and that's my dad's mother. And I didn't get to see her all that often, but when I did, there's so many memories that I have about her. She was a quilter, but she never taught me how to quilt. She always had quilts there in her house, but she always made two dishes for us when we visited. And I wish I had the recipes to this day, but I don't, but it was her amazing chicken and dumplings. And she would make and bake pumpkin bread and she would use old coffee tins to bake. She was very poor. She never learned to drive, didn't have a car, always wore flip-flops. But she just really put everything aside when we came to visit and would just make these wonderful home-cooked comforting meals for us. And I always felt just so loved and special when I would go to visit her every summer. Wow. Now, besides your quilting business, did you have or do you have employment? So I did and I do. I'll kind of explain. So in my early years, I'm 47 next month. And before I got involved with my quilting business, 
I was a social worker in my early 20s and worked in the field of child abuse, domestic violence, and sexual assaults and did that for, I guess, until probably my early 30s. And then because of dealing with those kind of experiences and hearing and seeing photos of those types of traumas, I eventually got into the leadership part. So I was the executive director of a child advocacy center and did that for a number of years and then was the executive director of a nonprofit in the state of Arkansas. It was a membership organization, nonprofit membership organization of child advocacy centers there within the state. And so I'd always been involved in that. And then in my, I guess my late 30s, I started doing training and facilitation, working with nonprofit boards of directors and businesses and organizations that have staff and employees and really traveled within the Southeast region and about a 16 state region, working with teams and staff and boards of directors, particularly those that had memberships providing training to those multidisciplinary teams and those boards of directors. And so I did that for about seven years. And then I actually opened my own training and consulting business where I could do that same work, but be my own boss. I could pick my own contracts and the groups that I wanted to work with. So I actually left working for the company that I worked for last year and opened up my own training and consulting business providing those trainings to industry businesses, various industries, still the child abuse field. I still help a lot of those nonprofits and have recently expanded that into the quilty world as well. Wow. Working with child abuse, that had to take a toll on you. You know, it did. That's why I actually do some trainings. I'm certified in a lot of different topics and modules, but I do training on something called vicarious trauma and secondary traumatic stress still with child abuse organizations because it is very challenging, especially if you're an empath, to hear those stories from the children. There's often pictures for the sexual assault medical exams. There's a lot of graphic information that can be very challenging. So it was, and that was partly why I got into the leadership roles and then the training role because it was hard, basically, to take that in all of the time as the years went on. Yeah. Thank you so much for your work in that, because it's so needed. But thank you also for helping others get through that trauma of dealing with it. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that have been through sexual abuse or childhood physical abuse. The statistics are one in four girls and one out of eight boys have gone through that. I am a survivor myself, and so I just have a heart and passion for helping children and always will. I still work in that industry some now, too, so it's just a place in my heart for children. Mm-hmm. Belle, where do you live now, and how did you get there from where you were born and raised? Well, I currently live in southwest Missouri. I'm in Springfield, so that's the very bottom part of the state, about an hour from the Arkansas border. How I got here is kind of a long story. I'll try to make the short version. Pencil Bluff was the town I grew up in, in uh, the Washtenaw National Forest. I left to go to college at the university there in Arkansas in Conway when I was 18. And then I transferred to Washington State and finished up college out there on an island called Whidbey Island. It's in Puget Sound area, not too far from Seattle. 
And I finished school there. And from there, I moved to Denver, Colorado. My best friend was there at the time and lived there for about three years and really enjoyed Colorado. And then from there, moved back to Arkansas for about 12 years. And at that time, I lived in Northwest Arkansas. And from there, went to Huntsville, Alabama. And that's where I started doing a lot of training and facilitation around the country as a regional trainer. And then from there, ended up here in Springfield. And my husband is from the Springfield area here. And so that was how I ended up where I am now. Wow, that was a long way around, but... <laughs> yes. I love traveling, but my work always ended up taking me somewhere usually. As I was looking at your website, you mentioned you have to deal with autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. I can talk about that. I was diagnosed with Lyme disease early in 2021. I had known something was wrong. There'd been something wrong. I'd been having symptoms for about five years, but I didn't know what. I used to be a runner and run half marathons and 5Ks and 10Ks. And I eventually got to where I did not have the stamina to do it anymore. It was very strange because I was in my, I guess I was in my late 30s when I started having some symptoms. And eventually, after going through a lot of different testing and such, found out that I had Lyme disease as well as reactivated Epstein-Barr. I had had mono Oh, a number of years ago. And when you have that, that always lives in your body, but it goes dormant. And mine was reactivated. Apparently the Lyme disease reactivated it. We don't know for sure when the tick bite happened, likely, because it's what's carried by mosquitoes, chigger bites, tick bites. But long story short, we found out what was wrong. And I had to go through about five months of pretty intensive treatment for that. And it's been interesting because Paula, as I've become involved in the quilty world for the last couple of years, there's been so many quilty friends that have autoimmune disease that they battle with and learn to manage. And quilting has been a huge part of basically mental health therapy when you deal with that. And there's some days you don't feel so well or don't have as much energy sometimes with an autoimmune disease. I have some neurological damage from it, even after I went through treatment where I reverse things, which can be very challenging with pattern writing and making quilts when you reverse pieces and numbers and letters and all of that. And sometimes my vision bothers me a little bit, but I just keep on keeping on. I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm in what's considered remission, even though I have some irreversible damage. I'm much better than I was before, and I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a lot to go through. Yeah, it was. There were some days after treatment, you know, I was in bed for several days. And then when I would feel good, quilting was just an outlet. It was so therapeutic for me. So I was grateful to have that during that time. I'd uh, have something to look forward to when, you know, you're not feeling good. Yeah. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? Yes to both. So previously I used to paint some and that was actually really the first, I would say, really creative outlet for me was painting. In my 30s, a friend encouraged me. She just put an easel and some paintbrushes and paints out on her porch. I'd gone to visit and she's like, paint something. And I'm like, I don't know how to paint because she could paint beautiful things. And she's like, just try. 
So I did and I had fun and it actually turned out really well. It looks like watercolor, but it was with acrylic. It was of an eye. So I dabbled in painting a little bit. And then before the Lyme disease happened, where I really lost a lot of my stamina and energy, I used to make granite meat and cheese boards. So I would find granite shops. They would let me basically dumpster dive in their dumpsters and collect the granite scraps that were going to go to the landfill. And I learned how to chip the granite in different shapes to make platforms of these granite figurines that would hold meat and cheese charcuterie boards, basically. And you could put them in the refrigerator and chill them and you could put a cheese ball or cheese and your meats on there. And so I did that for a while and had a booth that I sold those at. But eventually I had to stop because it was pretty labor intensive with using this really large hammer and all and lifting the granite to do that became a bit challenging. But yeah, those were two hobbies that I have done in the past. And other hobbies currently now really baking. And then I loved thrifting going to thrift stores and flea markets. I really enjoy that very much. Now, when you head into a flea market, do you have something in your mind you're kind of looking for or you just know it when you see it? Pretty much I know what I'm looking for. And there are times where I know it when I see it. I'm always looking for something quilty. I love to rescue vintage hand-stitched orphan blocks particularly out of old vintage fabrics. And I will make them into tote bags or stitch them on sweatshirts and stuff. And I also look for, there's a particular kind of milk glass that's a candy dish. And it has little holes all around the edge of the top of the candy dish. And I have a tutorial on my YouTube account as well as my Instagram on how to make a milk glass pin cushion because those little holes all around the edge can hold all of your like your little snips and your stilettos and your little purple thing. And then of course in the middle, you can either make it into a pin cushion or you can store your clover clips. So I'm always looking for that milk glass in thrift stores for sure. Neat. There's a lot of great vintagey stuff like that that pen cushions can be made out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one I particularly like because it can hold your tools as well as either pens or your clover clips. And they're hard to find. They used to be, I think, a little easier to find, but sometimes you can find them on eBay, but they're usually a lot more expensive there. Yeah. Do you think any of your hobbies show up in your quilting? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the milk glass pen cushion for sure. But I have used doilies, vintage doilies that I have got from thrift stores or flea markets. That's actually vintage lace is in one of mine that I've used for double binding. And then the doilies are in a particular quilt that I have. I use them for the center of my Dresdens. And I love to incorporate that as well as, like I mentioned, the the vintage orphan blocks have showed up in some of my tote bags and some of my sweatshirts. I sew those too. So I just love old things. They have stories and they have history behind them. And even though I don't know the stories, sometimes I pretend like I could imagine what the stories were. Growing up, my father 
on Sunday afternoons, we would go into, quote, town, which was 40 miles away, and go to yard sales. And he kind of really introduced me to the appreciation for vintage old things, especially good quality things that were still of good use, that were so much cheaper. You know, here he was raising two children and he had a wife and it was a lot more expensive back in the 80s during inflation times. And so he was always looking for a way to save money. So he really ingrained that in me about buying secondhand when I could, especially when it was good quality. Mm -hmm. How were you introduced to quilting? Well, at the start of the pandemic, what happened was I had taught my little bonus daughter, she's my stepdaughter, when she was about five, how to hand stitch. And she would make little pillows for her little lovey and her little stuffed animals. And then we got her a little kid sewing machine and she used that and was kind of rough on it. She would get a little frustrated with it. Eventually, we upgraded to a vintage 1967 Janome sewing machine for her. And the agreement was she would learn how to use it properly without being rough on it. She would get frustrated with her old one. And so this one, it was like, okay, let's learn to use it properly. And we got it and she decided she wasn't quite ready to use it properly yet. So it just sat in my office. And at the time, I was doing all of my training and facilitation remotely on Zoom because of the lockdown. And I would look at the sewing machine every day. And it was so pretty. It was mint condition and it actually was a mint color. And I had learned to sew in home economics and I knew some basics, but I knew nothing about quilting. And I was like, you know, I need to learn to make something with a sewing machine. And I thought, you know, my grandma, Anna, she quilted. Maybe I'll learn how to make a quilt. Plus people were sewing masks at the time. And I thought, well, that'd be, you know, good to do that too. So I got on YouTube, Paula, because we were on lockdown, and I found Melanie K. Ham, which I know many of us know she just recently passed away in January. And that was where I learned really how a quilt was constructed, that there were three layers, and I ordered some charm packs and just literally sewed those together. And I didn't have a pattern and put my first quilt together with that sewing machine and was absolutely hooked and have not looked back since then. Isn't it fun watching it come together? Oh, it was so much fun. It really was like the joy. I can't even explain. Well, other quilters understand it when you get hooked, but it really was so much fun. And then, you know, then I found Melanie of Southern Charm Quilts. And that's really where I learned like precision and piecing and how to make different blocks. And, you know, then there's so many others on YouTube. So literally I had never taken a class at all. The first class really that I took was at QuiltCon recently, last month when I went. But otherwise, everything has been learned on YouTube. And I'm just so grateful, so grateful to have learned this beautiful trade and hobby and making it into a business. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quilt or quilt pattern that you like? So I have two favorite quilts that I made prior to me writing my own pattern. And one is the Sugar Bear Quilt. That's a pattern by Southern Charm Quilts. And it's basically a modern spin on the bear claw. And it's on my Instagram feed. And I just absolutely loved it. It was the first quilt that I felt like I did such a good job piecing 
And I learned so much. Each block was different as far as the center of the bear claw. And I just really loved how all of my fabrics came together. That is my favorite quilt. And my puff quilt. I made a puff quilt last year. And that puff quilt feels like a weighted blanket. I don't know if you've ever had a weighted blanket, but it's very comforting because it's heavier than all of my other quilts. So that one stays in the living room on the couch and I use that one there. And then my sugar bear quilts, actually, I use at night on my bed and cover up with it. So neat to have a quilt that you know is going to be there and just can cuddle up with it. Yes. Quilts are comforting, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So when you're quilting, is there a tool that you love using? Yes, and many people that know me or follow me know it's my baby lock, Sasha Co. I consider it a tool because it's a machine and it does one stitch. It replicates a Sasha Co. stitch. So it's like you've stitched it by hand. And I use that machine just to give so many of my quilts or my totes or my journal covers just a little extra because I don't have a lot of patience for hand quilting, but this machine does that for me. So my favorite tool by far is my Baby Lock Sasha Co. Neat. And how long have you had that? I bought that last May. Maybe it was end of last April, beginning of May. So I've had it almost a year now. And it sounds like you use it quite a bit. I do. Some people that I have found that have this machine, it can be a little, I guess, maybe testy for some people. I've never had any trouble with mine. I would say I use mine probably at least two to three times a month. When you're quilting, is there a favorite part of the process you like or do you like each step? I would say it's the piecing is my favorite part. Once everything's been cut, it's like to see all those pieces come together to make the quilt. That's when it comes to life for me is to actually put those pieces together and to see those blocks. That's absolutely my favorite part. Mm -hmm. When you're piecing, do you tend to, well, I guess it depends on the quilt pattern, but if it has a lot of the same block, do you tend to do part of the block, all of them? that part or do you make a full block and then start on the next full block? That's a great question. I tend to work on one block at a time. I've chain pieced before, but there's something about putting one block together at a time and see it finished that my personality just loves. And it's also because I can feel like I got something done. You know, if I only have 15 or 20 minutes to work on a block, then that one's finished and I can put it aside and I know where I left off for the next one. So I lean towards working on one block at a time. But if I'm in a hurry or I have some deadlines or such, I will chain piece. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that question just popped into my head and I wasn't expecting that answer. So that's really <laughs> <laughs> That's what's nice. We all have different ways, right? Yeah. We all have different. I mean, sometimes they're similar, but it also depends on the circumstance. So, Yeah. Now tell me about your worst quilting experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. So before I had taken a pattern writing course and written my first pattern, I had bought EQ8 after I had been making some quilts off other people's patterns. And I was like, ooh, I think I want to design my own. I bought EQ8. And I thought 
EQA, not only could you design it in there, but when you went to print it, it printed out the step-by-step directions for you, (laughs) which I learned is not the case. And I was so disappointed. However, I did design a pattern in there, which I have not published. It's called the By My Side Quilt. And I made it. And I decided I would use just fabrics that I had acquired during the pandemic. So before I really understood and knew about good fabric, like good quality fabric, I was just finding like used fabric on Facebook market and would meet people like in a parking lot because, you know, we weren't going into stores. I have this autoimmune disease. So I was being really careful and I would just buy used fabric, not really understanding there's 100% cotton, there's linen, there's poly blend, you know, all of these different fabrics. So with this first design that I made and was going to put together, I thought, well, I'll just use whatever I've picked up from these people on Facebook market. Well, I ended up using a really thin linen combined with a poly blend. And those two fabrics did not like each other well at all. One, the thin linen was like a white that was too see-through. And then the like the poly blend was just this kind of thick fabric. They just didn't go together. And I had so much frustration trying to get that to work well because that linen just wanted to move on the bias. There were a lot of triangles and that was a lesson learned that quality fabric matters and the types of fabric that you use matter. So that was a frustrating experience. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know what we don't know sometimes. (laughs) That's exactly right. I learned the hard way. Did you ever finish that quilt? The tops finished, yes. And then I made it again out of good art gallery fabrics. And it was a much smoother process. And the quilt turned out beautiful. But you know, I never finished as far as putting it together, as far as the backing and batting. It's still folded up as a flimsy. (laughs) (laughs) Someday, maybe. (laughs) Why do you think you make quilts rather than working on something else? There's something called finding your why. And I use that a lot in a lot of the trainings that I do with nonprofits and teams and boards. And my why is very clear for me. Making quilts brings joy not only to me, but to others. And what I mean by that is sometimes I'll say, it's even on my website, that quilts make the world a lovely place. And the way that I feel like they do that is we feel joy when we make a quilt and we give it to someone, donate it to charity, or we give it when people have cancer or other type of disease, or someone's passed away and it's a memory quilt or for a certain celebration. And it shows love, support, and care. And so I think that it changes people. It changes us in the sense that we get to feel that joy of being a giver. I truly believe there's more joy in giving than receiving. But also, we feel joy when we see others feel the joy of getting the quilt, especially when it's for all these different types of occasions. I think it changes something inside of us as the maker And then something inside is the receiver. It's a way that we show love to each other, to other humans, even when we don't know them sometimes. 
So for example, our quilt guild has about four to five philanthropies in which we make community quilts. And one of them is called squad car quilts. And we can make quilts and donate them to local law enforcement. And they keep those quilts in their car, in the trunk. And they give them to the children that they have to transport when they're taking them into custody or other traumatic situations. And we don't know those kids, right? But how they feel to have that one thing, that piece of comfort. And there's so many other stories like that. But I do it because of the joy that it brings others and then myself as the giver. I had not heard it put that way before. That is great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Quilts can make the world a lovely place. Mm-hmm. They affect people in positive ways, I believe. Yeah. And who have you been making your quilts for? Well, I've made them for my father. My little bonus daughter has several. Like I've mentioned, I've made some community quilts as well. Made some for friends. Yeah, so loved ones for sure that I love and care about. And then, like I mentioned, you know, philanthropies as well. I've also made blocks to donate as far as those online when someone has a need or they've lost their home or they're going through an illness, a lot of us will make blocks and send them to one person to put the whole quilt together. And so I just love to give. I definitely love to give. What are you working on right now? Well, it's kind of a surprise or a secret. I'm working on my next quilt pattern. So I haven't really posted any photos of it yet, but it's going to be called the River Glen Star. And it's my version of using the cathedral window block, but it's going to be a modern version and it's going to be made with a method that is different than the traditional method. And so that will come out later this summer. So right now I am testing the blocks in different colorways and the technique and that River Glen, the reason for that is that's the name of the property that I grew up on. And of course, it's away from the city, so you can see all the stars. And those blocks actually make kind of like a diamond star within them. So I'm working on my next quilt pattern. So stay tuned for sneak peeks of that. Oh, well, that will be exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm excited to put a modern twist on a very traditional block. Mm -hmm. Share a quilting tip. I think for me, the tip I would give is to pay attention to what brings you joy. You know, there's so much information out there on feeling like we have to make things a certain way or make the latest trend or what have you. And I think it's great to try those because that's how we find out what we like or don't like. But I never like to feel really forced into a box to have to do something a certain way or just because something's popular. So my tip is, does it bring you joy? Pay attention to, does it bring it joy? And if it does, even if it's quote against some kind of invisible quilty rule, then do it if it makes you happy. Great tip. (laughs) Now, I always assume that you started quilting as a hobby and then it turned into a business. Can you describe how you went from one to the other? Sure. Well, it all started when the pandemic was going on. 
So the way the hobby went into a business was this. It first started out in going to a notions, a handmade quilting notions business. That was where the business started first before I got into quilt pattern writing and then now the training within the industry. I could not find quilting pens that one, I could see well when I dropped them on the carpet that were cute and lovely. I use the word lovely a lot. I love to work with lovely things and I couldn't find any that were just lovely that made my heart sing. And I couldn't find any that were easy to grasp when you pick them up with your fingers. And so I got to experimenting. I had seen another quilty friend that had like made a couple of pins and I'd reached out to her to say, where did you buy these? And she's like, I didn't. I just made them, just kind of glued them together. So I got some inspiration from her because I couldn't find them. They weren't for sale anywhere. And then I started experimenting with different types of things I could use for the heads to glue on with special glue clover pins. So what happened was I ended up coming out with Seam So Me pins that are really easy to see when you drop them, especially if you have eyesight issues or if you have arthritis, they're easy to grasp. That way you're not stepping on pins because you can quickly see them. And they're just cute. I wanted something that was really lovely to work with. So that's how it started. I opened up an Etsy shop and started making those. And then I started making alphabet and number clips because I was using post-it notes to keep track of my pieces and they would fall off on the floor. So then I started experimenting with ways to make those. So then I started selling those in my shop. And so that's where really the business started was the notions business side of it. And I still have that running and I make those notions when time permits. And then as I was making quilts, I was like, I think I would like to design some of my own. So I found Quilters Candy, Elizabeth Chapel of Quilters Candy. She had these templates that you could buy. They're Canva templates, which is a software that were really kind of put together for you. And I thought, well, I'm going to write my own pattern based off of something that I had made. It was a quilt journal cover. I had this journal. And I didn't like the cover of it and I wanted to make a cover for it. So I started experimenting on how to make one and came up with a way that worked well for me. A lot of people liked it when I was posting photos. And so I decided, well, I'll make a pattern out of it. So I used those templates from Quilters Candy to write that pattern. And then I realized I need to take a pattern writing course because there's a lot more that goes into this to actually write a full quilt pattern. So last fall, I actually took a pattern writing course. It was about 12 weeks. And that's where I learned really all the business side of things as well as to how to formally write a quilt pattern. Well, there's always so much detail in the things we go to do. Oh boy, more detail than I ever imagined. I have such an appreciation for those that write patterns. Now you just mentioned the name of your business. Seems so me. Mm-hmm. And you're still using that name, right? I am. And it's funny how that name came about. When I was making those little pens, the quilting pens, the, when I made my first set and was finished with them, that's what came out of my mouth. I was like, oh, these seem so me. Like, they're just so me. <laughs> Something that I love and like. And that stuck when it came time to come up with a business. It's like, I like to make things 
that seem so me, that make my heart happy, that bring me joy. And of course, you know, hoping that people will find me in which those things also bring them joy, my patterns and notions and stuff that seem so them. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead and spell that because people aren't seeing that. Oh, sure. Yeah, it is a play on words. So it's seems, S-E-A-M-S. So is spelled S-E-W, me, M-E. And when you look on Instagram for it, it does have an underscore between each word. That's great. So you just started designing your patterns recently, correct? Last year, yes, I've designed two. So the quilt journal cover pattern and then Dueling Diamonds, I released actually last month, but started that process back in September. So I've written two patterns and I'm working now on my third one. Great. Tell me the feeling you had when somebody reached out and decided to buy one of your patterns. I had built up a lot of excitement I think around it probably the end of December and up until launch day which was February 4th and so people knew it was coming and on launch day the feelings that I had one were grateful I was so grateful with how many people just loved the pattern and bought the pattern and I was just extremely thrilled I was so excited I didn't have a frame of reference because the quilt journal pattern cover was free for three months. People could download it for free and now it's listed for sale. So the launch was a bit different with that one. There was no monetary piece to it, but grateful and absolutely thrilled when the pattern launched. And then just so many people were just so supportive and loved it and purchased it. So I'm grateful. We talked a little bit about training. Could Mm -hmm. you describe that a little bit more for me? Yeah, thanks for asking. So my background is as a trainer and facilitator working with nonprofit boards of directors, as well as businesses that have staff and employees. So basically, in a nutshell, I'm a trainer and a facilitator, and I help quilt guilds and any quilt industry businesses with employees to overcome things like conflict. So whether that be conflict with membership in the board in a guild or conflict among staff within a quilt industry business, or stagnation. So maybe guilds are not growing. I do training on strategic planning, kind of working through any pain points on how they can grow through action plans. And then also, if there's a lack of inclusion and diversity in guilds, basically it's so they can thrive and they can make the quilty community really a lovely place for everyone. And so a lot of those trainings that I do, I do them in other industries, like I mentioned, but I recently in the last few months have really started to target and offer that as a resource to quilt guilds. And that is really because I've heard many stories that have made my heart hurt, maybe about experiences people have had at times with some guilds where maybe they just didn't understand how to help people feel welcomed or included, to have diversity and inclusion, not to be the quilt police. And those stories very much touched me. And I immediately knew there was something I could do to help because I'm certified in various modalities to be able to work with nonprofit boards of directors and membership, as well as any company that's a for-profit that has staff and employees that are having trouble in those areas as well. So 
that is something also that I offer in the quilty world too, and to be able to to offer that help so that it truly can be a lovely quilty community for everyone, no matter who you are, your background, if you're human and you're not someone that's there to cause harm, right? You belong. And I feel very, very strongly about that. I lead with the two values of understanding and compassion. And I very much believe that we all have that within us. Sometimes we just need a few tools to help us work through some kinks that can happen due to imperfection as humans within organizations and businesses. That's great. And it's going to make the community all that much stronger. It will. And that's definitely my passion is I want that. I know how much I love quilting. I know how much so many of my quilty friends do. And when I hear stories in which that is not happening, there's something I know that I can do to help. And some of these guilds will die out if there's not growth and if some of these things are not worked through. And I don't want that because we want generations going forward right? We want our young ones. We want someone like me who I was 45 when I started quilting to feel welcomed. And, you know, sure, of course you teach techniques, but then you leave it up to people how they want to employ those, how they want to try them in making their quilts or their makes and the freedom with that. So yes, it's very much a passion and something I'm very passionate about now that I'm in the industry. I want to be able to share that with others. Mm Mm-hmm. You've also started making YouTube videos. What was it like to start that up? So it started because I was making Instagram videos. When I would use my baby lock Sashiko or I would try a new tool, I would make videos because I'm a helper by nature. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but by nature, I love to help. And so I was sharing things that were working well for me or how to use something or a technique or whatever I had discovered. And then people would ask a lot of questions on Instagram. And I realized, you know, I need to put these somewhere else that they're easy to find. So I opened up a YouTube channel and started to upload those original videos. And I've recently started to get a little more professional with them. I'm still in a learning curve on how to make them. There was a little bit of frustration, I'll be honest, because I do not consider myself a tech savvy expert. So there is a huge learning curve. So it's been exciting. And at the same time, there's been a few pain points with learning how to do it. But that way people can find some of the videos much easier. That's how I learned was finding YouTube videos. So I think as a visual learner, there's many other visual learners out there. And I think that's a great way for people to learn, especially if they're home a lot. Mm -hmm. In the future, I did hear you mentioned possibly making the Airbnb that you're working on as a quilt retreat also? Yes. So the property there is 45 acres on the Washita River. And there's actually two homes. One home was already there that my father remodeled. It's an older home. And I'm getting ready to go down there the beginning of April to start furnishing that. We're going to do that together. The other one is being built from the ground up and we've got the walls and the roof on and it's taken a little longer than we thought because of the pandemic with getting supplies, but that will be available as an Airbnb through the Airbnb app. Both of them will. But what we've done is I've helped dad with some of the layouts 
there's an area that's going to be a multi-purpose room that from the outside looks like a garage, but inside that area of where the garage is, he got heat and air, the plugins, it'll have a flat screen TV, the tables that can be pulled out for those that want to rent it to have a small quilting retreat, the cabinets with some supplies that maybe they can't bring. So it'll be useful for those that want to rent both of the Airbnbs together for maybe a group of eight to 12 people, depending on how they want to have their sleeping arrangements. And then with that, those that rent it also will have access to the canoe rental piece. So we have a van and there will be canoes and we live right on the Washita River, which is beautiful. And they can float the river to get outdoors and enjoy the national forest there. So it'll be open for both. Those that are not quilters, then of course they won't use that multi-purpose area. But those that want to have a retreat or maybe a guild board of directors retreat or just some quilty friends will be able to enjoy that beautiful area there. Sounds like a fun time. (laughs) Yes, it's been fun working on it with my dad and I'm excited to be able to share that with others too. I wanted to mention that Maude McDonald sent you to sign up to be interviewed by me, and I so appreciate it. She did. Can you tell me your relationship with Maude? Sure. It's funny. We call each other so sisters. I met Maude in May of last year. We both signed up for something called the Dresden Challenge through Quilters Candy. It was like a three-day event online making Dresdens. It was so much fun. And that was how we met and just immediately kind of hit it off. She's got red hair. I've got red hair. She's in Canada though. And I'm in the U.S. And so we just kind of stayed in touch on Instagram. And then we both ended up signing up for the Quilters Candy pattern writing course and really connected through that whole course have been so helpful for for each other business-wise and quilty-wise. And we pretty much communicate almost every day. And she's turned out to be such a wonderful colleague, peer, friend, quilty business brain to run things by. And she's just a dear. I wish she lived closer. We were supposed to get a meet in person at QuiltCon. But because of the pandemic, it didn't work out for her to get to come. But we're hopeful later this year in October, close to the time of Quilt Market and Quilt Festival, we hope to get to finally meet in person. So I think a lot of mods, she's called the retro quilter and she really makes some fun patterns with some fun fabric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a fun time visiting with her on her episode. Where can we find your business? You can find me. My website is www.seamsome.com and that is S-E-A-M-S. S-E-W-M-E dot com. And then on Instagram, it's seems underscore so underscore me spelled the same way. And then YouTube, all of the links are on my website as well as on my Instagram account to be able to find me there as well as my Etsy shop. And on Etsy, it's seems so me shop. And yeah, I look forward to maybe having some visitors. Great. And we'll have those links on your episode page also. Great. Thank you. Uh-huh. Was there anything else you wanted to share with me? 
You know, I think one thing I would love to share, and I think other people probably feel this way too, but the quilty community has just been for me such a lovely place to be in the sense that so many people have been helpful with me learning, whether it's from making a quilt to what to use, to learning how to write patterns, to the business part of things, just being so welcoming as a newer person. I've only been quilting for two years. I just appreciate a lot of the collaboration that happens online within the online quilting community of how supportive everyone is. And I think that I enjoy giving back as well in that way so that we all can continue to love this beautiful craft and this beautiful outlet that we have. So yeah, I think I just would love to share my gratitude and appreciation to the quilty community out there for you too, Paula, for having me today. Oh, thank you. It was great to have you. Well, it was so great to visit with you and meet another quilty person. I love that you like to collect people's stories. I think that that's wonderful. Oh, thanks. This is so much fun. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Paula. I appreciate it so much. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.